0: Pray together, Heavenly Father. We acknowledge this morning how easy it is to get really comfortable, casual, um, really in our in our Christian expression and in our Christian life, and it would be really easy for us to miss what. You took time to teach Your disciples when they walked on earth that following You would be hard and that it would involve hardship, hurt, difficulty, suffering. It's something that's hard for us to process. And today, as we look at this passage, Father, I pray that You would, in the power of Your Holy Spirit, come among us and work within us, myself included, that we would accurately represent what you say here so that our discipleship would be the kind of discipleship that we didn't make up ourselves or that we didn't get from the culture around us or even from the evangelical church as it is today, but that it would be biblical, Christ-like, God-inspired, spirit-motivated, accurate discipleship like you're talking about here and uh, we tremble when we think about it. We just ask you today that you'd help us in this, to, that we would be disciples, that we would that we would by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us through our gifts make disciples. That we wouldn't be misdirected about this, that we wouldn't be confused about it. So this is our prayer, Lord. This is what we ask you today, in Christ's name, Amen. Our text is Matthew 16:24. Matthew 16:24. Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. And this is so critical. Let's just read it again. This would be Matthew 16, 24. And Jesus' response to His disciples when they were thinking, let's follow the Messiah to glory. And He was saying, no, you follow the Messiah through suffering to glory. So His response then is repeated frequently in the New Testament. Uh, Again, there, there are foreshadowings of it in the Old Testament. There are many repetitions of it in the Gospels. And then there are amplifications of it given in the Epistles. Let's read it again. Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. by the weight of this passage, that it's significant, that it's central, that it's important, that it's especially weighty and especially central. Just tell by reading it and also knowing that it's been repeated. Again, There's a word here real early on, it says anyone, it says anyone. Jesus says anyone who desires to be my disciple, implying that there are going to be a lot of people who desire to be followers of Jesus Christ. And I would say this ahead of time, and that is they desire to be followers of Jesus Christ until they realize what that's going to involve. They desire to be followers of Jesus Christ if that means benefits to them. They desire to be followers of Jesus Christ if it means missing hell. They desire to be followers of Jesus Christ if it means their pay grade goes up 10 grand a year. They desire to be followers of Jesus Christ if their wife's gonna obey them. They desire to be followers of Jesus Christ if their kids are gonna line up and, you know, be impressive little kids. But if it involves hurt, if it involves misunderstanding, if it involves suffering, if it involves torture or death, that, that, then the desire kind of fades away. So Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, anyone. Now, now this is a, a critical thing to think about right now. Who's it written to? Who's it actually spoken to his immediate circle of disciples? So we know it applies to them. The question we want to quickly ask is, is who else does it apply to? We'll get into the interpretation of it, but I I want to kind of get you on the train first. So, does it apply to us? We know it applies to disciples, because he's speaking specifically to the disciples. We also know that it applies to the readers of Matthew's Gospel, because that's how we got it, right? It's a part of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's contract. This is who Jesus is, this is how to be a disciple. You get to the end of Matthew's story, and Matthew has Jesus saying, go into all the world and make disciples, So this is about what it looks like to be a disciple. So obviously, it's important to the disciples. It's important to the people that read Matthew's Gospel and we're included in that group. But again, as I mentioned before, you have a lot of Old Testament examples of this. Following involves suffering. A lot of Old Testament examples. One of them is like repeated, it's echoed in the New Testament, like in uh, Hebrews. Uh, Moses, he had the pleasures of sin for a season, but he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. So it's like, if you want to follow me, you're going to set aside that momentary pleasure and you're going to suffer with the people of God, I'm going to reward you later on. You know, followers of Jesus in the Old Testament, we could give you lots of you know, pictures of that. Obviously, this is repeated throughout the Gospels. It's not just here, but it's almost wherever Jesus says, come and follow me and be my follower, be prepared to suffer. It's almost always uses this little phrase about taking up your cross. And this is the heart of it, the being, being prepared to suffer. Following Jesus means you set aside what you are going to do without him. You prepare to suffer because he's going to, and you, and you follow him. In other words, you do what he does, you say what he says, you go where he goes, you obey his commands deny yourself take up your cross and follow jesus the, the another reason we know that applies to everyone that's why the first phrase says anyone who desires to follow me we know again as this repeated in the epistles let me give you a, a, a brief example of this just one and i could have given you many of them galatians two twenty. how many of you know that right Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's one of many references in the epistles which amplify the teaching of the Gospels that this is a universal principle. So in other words, what I'm saying is this, what Jesus is teaching his disciples that we're going to study today applies to you and me too. It's not just, oh, those disciples, Jesus was going to ask them to die. No, any disciple, anyone who wants to take up, anyone who wants to follow Jesus will have to set aside their selfish pursuits and take up what Jesus wants them to do. And in the process, it's going to involve some hurt. It's going to involve some sacrifice. It's going to involve some suffering. This is the thing that's kind of counterintuitive. It's hard for us to grasp And it was really hard for them to grasp. And you can just feel it in the passage. You can feel Peter, who's kind of the spokesman, and the other disciples just kind of struggling with this idea. Again, they were on the Messiah on its way to glory track. And they were tracking with that. That was good. But the Messiah on his way through suffering to glory track was one they were like, Oh, I don't know that that's what I was thinking. And so I hope today this will be an encouragement to you but I also hope it will be a challenge to me and to you because I kind of think it needs to be that way. I think it needs to be like, who who can be an honest Christian? Look at a passage like this and say, yep, got that going on. I have no problem with that. I mean, I knew that. I don't have any problem suffering for Jesus. I'm right on it. I'm following Jesus. I'm doing whatever he told me to do. I'm going wherever he told me to go. I act like Jesus. I live like Jesus. Who in the world could really say that? Could you say that? Can I say that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, doesn't that just bring all of us to our knees? So this is a passage that's it's really rich, and it's really a. It's, it, there are parts of it that are simple, but the structure is simple. The structure is very linear. This isn't a place where Jesus launches into story or narrative. This is a place where Jesus makes a tightly reasoned argument, and it's very easy to follow. In your Bible, you notice it, that the, the statements given there in verse 24. If anyone desires to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and, and follow me. And then the next three verses, what do they start with? The word is you gotta look down at your Bible there, yeah. For. For. Or you could say, because. So it's this is pastors love passages like this because they're all outlined for you. See what I mean? So you got the main thing, and that is, if you want to be my disciple, he says the three things, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, because, because, because. Get it? See it there? Verse 25, verse 26, verse 27 are all becauses. They're all fours. So this is a tightly reasoned logical argument. If you're a linear type, you should like this. This should like resonate in your soul. It's like, tell me three reasons why I should still follow Jesus, even if it means I've got to suffer. Tell me three reasons, because if I gotta suffer, I gotta have some good reasons. Give me three reasons, Jesus, why I'm still gonna follow you, even if it means that we're gonna suffer. And that's exactly what Jesus does as He prepares His disciples to follow Him. Now, following Jesus again, what what is this following Jesus? It's going where Jesus is gonna go. It's doing what Jesus is going to do. I love this. There's a guy named Bob Goff, and he wrote a book, and he said he has, you know how a lot of times people have Bible studies? And so you, you get a Bible, passage of the Bible, and you take it and you study it, and you say, well, this is what it says, and this is what I think it means, and this is how it makes me feel, and, and, and I like this one, and I'm going to put this on my fridge. He says, Bible studies, which is, of course, a, a very good thing to do, having Bible studies. This guy, Bob, he says he has Bible doings. Can you imagine that? A Bible doing is like when you get your Bible, you open it up. I'm not being smart here because this is convicting me. I'm, you know, I've I just got to jump on you because I got to think about this for hours ahead of time. So I don't say this lightly. But what is a Bible doing? A Bible doing is when you open your Bible, you read it, you go, okay, let's do some of this. Isn't that a lot different than a Bible study? It's like, oh, that makes me feel good. Okay, you're going to do that? What are you going to do about this? What, what obedience are you going to practice? What gift are you going to give? What thing are you going to stop doing by the power of the Holy Spirit? Who are you going to love? Where are you going to go? How are you going to follow Jesus? You know, they tell me, I don't know, maybe are young people sometimes better at this initially? I don't know. You know, you, you listen and they're just like, hey, I'm just going to do this thing. And then maybe after we've been saved for a while, is it possible that we start to rationalize so much of the Bible way we have reasons not to do much of anything except kind of study and memorize it, whatever. So, following Jesus is going where Jesus is going to go. Is doing what Jesus is doing. It's obeying Jesus. And this guy Bob, he to- he he told a story about how he came to know the Lord. He's out in California, didn't know the Lord, didn't know anything about the things of the Lord, didn't have any reason to know about the Lord, didn't go to church, wasn't interested in God or the Bible. But this guy showed up at his high school with a club called Young Life. It's an evangelistic club for young people. The guy shows up and he has, Bob says the guy has three things that he always admired. Facial hair, a girlfriend, and A motorcycle. Bob says I always wanted facial hair, a girlfriend, and a motorcycle. He said, I've been working for years on a facial hair. It it hadn't happened yet. And he thought maybe that's one of the reasons why the girlfriend hadn't happened yet. And he didn't have the money for a motorcycle. But this guy shows up, and he's hanging around school, and he's got facial hair and a girlfriend and a motorcycle. So the guy starts talking with me. He thinks, well, you're not a student in the high school. What are you doing here? And then he gets a little bit of a hint that the guy's some kind of a religious worker. Facial hair and with a girlfriend, <laughs> and with a motorcycle. And so he befriends this guy. He, this guy befriends Bob. He loves Bob. He hangs out with him. He spends time with him. He gets to know him. Bob gets tired of high school. At one point, Bob just says, you know what? I don't, you don't have to go to high school. You can actually take a test, and you can test out of high school. GED." Bob thinks that's a good idea. He lives in California. He thinks he's gonna go down to Yosemite and he's gonna live there. He's just gonna drop out of high school, take the test, get the equivalency, go live in Yosemite. He doesn't have a job, he's got an old rusty Volkswagen. He decides what he's gonna do is he's gonna drive down there. He's just gonna he's just gonna his parents really don't care that much about him. His friends don't care that much about him. There's only one person that really showed any interest in him, and that was the guy with the facial hair and the girlfriend. And the motorcycle, the young life leader. And so before he dropped out of everything and he went to Yosemite to live and to get a job, he decided, well, I'm going to say goodbye to my friend. So he we went by his house and he knocked on the door. It was fairly early in the morning. He knocked on the door and the guy came to the door with bed hair, sleep in his eyes. He said, Bob, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm leaving town. I just want to let you know first. I'm leaving town. I'm not coming back. I'm going to, I just want to say goodbye. I want to thank you for being my friend. He goes, well, where are you going? What are you doing? He goes, well, I'm going to drop out of high school. What about your parents? Said, they don't care. Oh. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to go try to, I'm going to Yosemite. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to try to get a job. Just kind of earn enough money to kind of hang out and camp out and climb and so forth. And his friend says, well, hold on just a minute. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. So he goes, okay. He goes back in the house for a while. And about five, maybe ten minutes later, he comes back and he's got like a backpack. And he says, Bob, is it okay if I go with you? Bob says, what? He goes, I just thought maybe I'd go with you. Why don't we just go together? Is it okay if I go with you? So Bob goes, well, I don't know when I'm coming back. He goes, I don't care. I'll just go with you. What do you think? So Bob says, sure. So the guy with the facial hair, the girlfriend and motorcycle, gets, gets his uh, backpack and he throws it in the back of the VW and he goes with him. And this is a longer story than I'm going to tell you today. But he doesn't tell him to go back to school. He doesn't tell him you're never going to get a job. He doesn't tell, you, tell him this isn't going to work. He just goes with him. He hangs out with him, and he lets him figure that stuff out on his own. After a while, he can't get a job. After a while, he can't find a place to live. After a while, he says, maybe I should go back home and go back to high school and finish high school. And his friend says to him, well, I think you, you made a good decision. I'll go with you if you want to go. And so they get in the car, and they go back home, but Bob says when he gets back, he just without being invited, he walks into the guy's house. I mean they've been hanging out together, you know, and spending time together, so he just walks into the guy's house and he notices that on the floor of the house are all kinds of like things like um a punch bowl, and over here is like a toaster and a bunch of different things. Suddenly he realizes this man didn't have a girlfriend, this man had a wife, that he was He had just come back from his honeymoon that morning when the boy showed up and said, I'm going to leave town. He went back to his new wife and he said, I think I need to go with this boy. And his new wife said, you go with him and do what you need to do. And as a result of that, this man, Bob, who's had a profound influence in the world for Christ, came to know and love Jesus Christ because his friend actually acted like Jesus, actually made sacrifices, actually did something. Does that challenge you? challenges me. Because I'm good at talking about things, Jesus said, but I'm not as good at actually going and doing the things that Jesus said. Jesus said, if you want to be a follower of mine, then you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. When you first look at the take up your cross part, I think the the initial thing is like, oh yeah, I understand that. Jesus is going to die on the cross. He's telling them, I'm going to go die on the cross. You're going to have to be willing to suffer too. But that's not accurate. That's not true. It's not quite accurate. Not at all. At this point in the ministry of Jesus, he had not told them he was going to die by Roman crucifixion. That idea would have been amazingly scandalous, incredibly shocking to them. He did not say that yet. He frequently used that as a very, very powerful metaphor for suffering, crucifixion. In other words, what happened, Romans had crucified in Jesus' time over 30,000 people in this very area of Caesarea Philippi not long before. Very much deeply on the public consciousness was the memory of hundreds of men who had been publicly crucified Crucifixion was so horrible, Romans did not even talk about it among themselves. They just did it to other people. If you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. Crucifixion wasn't just capital punishment. Crucifixion was a terrible kind of public torture that Roman people used to intimidate other people in other nations. It was done in a public way, in a public place. Over a long period of time, in a slow, horrifying torture in order to intimidate other people. So when Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you have to take up your cross, the picture that would have gone into the minds of those men, as he said that, would have been a man on his way to death with a crossbeam, his own crossbeam, weighing down his old shoulders, trudging to his own horrifying, excruciating torture and death. This would have sent shivers down the spine of those men. And it was only later that they would find out that Jesus himself would endure Roman crucifixion, that he would be buried and rise again triumphant over death. But not, they didn't know that then. I, uh, one of the most Christ like people that I know, certainly not perfect, but very much like Jesus, and always really watched him really close, to try to be like Jesus is this man. And if you'll let me, give me a few minutes. This is my dad. You recognize the pulpit. This was a really happy day for me. We invited my dad to preach here at the Good Friday service. And he came and he preached a really meaningful message at this Good Friday service. And we got this photo of him. I like this photo of my dad here in our church preaching about Jesus. And there's another picture I like of my dad, if you allow me here. This was at a little church he pastored in Ohio, and the girls came to sing one day. He, he looks like he's praying, but he's doing what he does a lot. He's weeping. The girls were singing and he was weeping. And that's very much like my dad. Now, The next picture I want to show you, you're going to think it's kind of a joke. And it really isn't a joke. It's kind of funny. But you understand, my my dad, he has a practice. He, He decided a number of years ago, and he told me this, he's a bit eccentric. He's a good, godly guy. And he's got a little twist of eccentricity to him, like most cool people do. And he said, Ken, I made up my mind that from now on until I die... I'm going to wear a cross every day somewhere on my clothing. From now until I die, I'm going to wear a cross to remind me of my loyalty to Jesus Christ and his testimony. And so every time you see my dad, whatever he's wearing, somewhere he's got a cross. He walks in the morning, early in the morning, a lot of times before light, most of the time before light. He's a very disciplined man very orderly, and he gets up real early, and he walks for a long way, miles, and he prays. This is what he does when he walks, he prays. And you, can, you know he does because he can tell you all his grandkids, is like 40 grandkids and great-grandkids, is like over 40 grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and he prays for them by name, and he's got them memorized in order. He can just, just go like a shotgun, just go, like, a, like a machine gun. He can just go down through the prayer list that he's praying for, and he'll, he, he has a way of making you feel like you're the one he's praying for the most. He has a way of making you feel like you're the one that's most in need of prayer. But when he goes out and walks, it's in the dark, and my mom said it's kind of dangerous, and so she decided she would make him a, make him a, a vest to wear that would have a reflective strip on it. And I was thinking it makes him kind of look like a crusader, but this is what he looks like. I knew you were going to laugh. I mean, Get it out of your system. Yeah. And the hat, you know, it's, it does, it looks like a crusader, I. I know. I told you my my dad was kind of eccentric, but I couldn't get this out of my mind when I thought about that. Here's my dad, a little pastor of a little church in a little town, and he gets up in the morning and he walks. And here's what he said. He says, when I see people, I always wave. He waves at every car. They must think he's crazy, don't you think? Who is this man? And I'm walking down the road going to work. I'm driving, and some guy's walking in the cross, bobbing up and down in the lights, you know, and he waves like he knows me, and he goes on. You, You know, the cross for Christian people has inspired us so much because of what Jesus suffered and how he died and what it meant that we... We struggle for ways of showing our fidelity and our loyalty to Jesus Christ. We wear the cross around our neck. We put it on. Some people don't understand it. Some people don't get it. But some people, they really do. Do you get it? Are you really a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you really a person that talks the way Jesus talks? Are you really a person that goes where Jesus goes? Are you really a person that's devoted to doing what Jesus does by the power of the Holy Spirit because we're justified by faith. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you really understand what the cross means? Have you really taken up the cross of Jesus Christ? And even if it means that you're going to suffer, or even if it means you're going to die, you're going to go where He goes, and you're going to say what He says, and you're going to do what He does. Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Because today, on a nice day in the first Sunday of summer, among Christian people, after we've been regaled with beautiful music about Jesus, it's really easy for us to say, yes, sign me up, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But wait, what if we get disappointed? What if we get hurt? What if there's pain? What if there's suffering? What if there's death? Well, let's go through the text, and let me show you the three reasons that Jesus gave. Clear reasons that Jesus gave about why you should follow even if you suffer. The first one is, again, follows the word for in verse 25. See it? Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, maybe you notice the title of my message? How many of you notice the title of my message? Anybody, anybody remember back that far on the slides? What was the title of the message? Now you, yeah, you guys are sharp. Godly? Selfishness? Isn't it selfishness, ungodly? I'm gonna explain that. I'm gonna explain that to you. This passage really teaches that. It shows if I live for myself, and I say I live for my. And the, and the actual word uh, uh, "suke" is same word that's used in verse 25. And verse 26 is translated soul. And verse 25 is translated life. Twice in verse 25 is translated life. Twice in verse 26 is translated soul. It's the same word. The context kind of bends it towards soul in the second verse. The context kind of bends it toward life, but it's the same word. What's the idea here? The essence of who you are. You only discover and enjoy the essence of who you really are in your insides if you follow Jesus even when it means suffering. So... Only The only way for us to discover the essence of who we really are, to really find our soul, to really find our life, is to follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. If you try to find your life without Jesus, you won't find it. If you try to find your soul without Jesus, you'll lose it. You won't find it. But if you set that aside and go after Jesus, you'll find your soul. Then you will find your life. Then you will discover the essence of what it means to really be you the way God created you to be. That's what it teaches. And I put it this way. You discover and enjoy the essence of who you really are. There are a lot of different ways you could say that. That's one way. You discover the essence, the, the life, the soul, the suke, of who you really are. So you got people that are all there trying to find themselves or discover who they really are. They go, I must buy this or do this or go this place but I'm not going to let Jesus tell me what to do. No, until you follow Jesus, even if it means suffering, you will never discover the essence of who you really are. But if you will follow Jesus, you'll discover the essence of who you really are. Now, do you get what this means? This is kind of cool. Try to track with me on this, even if I'm not very clear, because this is super important. Have you ever thought about this? How do I deny myself? Is this like seem impossible to anybody but me? How, do you, have you ever, how many of you have like struggled with this idea? Raise your hand. Deny yourself. Don't think about yourself right now. Stop thinking about yourself. I, I, don't, don't, don't concern yourself with yourself. How can you do that? I, I mean, aren't you doing that while you're doing that? I, for the sake of myself, I don't want to concern myself with myself. So I won't think about myself anymore because myself is so important. I must not think about myself. So how in the world do you do that? It's just impossible. How do you do that? Deny yourself, huh? Well, we get help from the Lord. In other words, Jesus isn't saying here, don't ever think about yourself. That would be impossible. But Jesus is not saying, don't ever worry about the essence of who you are because this is the argument that he actually uses in order to get you to follow him. If you really want to find yourself, follow me is what he's saying. If you really want fulfillment, over and over. If you want joy, this is how you get it. My following me and not seeking your joy over here but seeking it in me so it's kind of a godly selfishness now you can say no i don't do that I'm like well good for you you are either confused or you're way more advanced than i am but here's what the Bible says over and over. The Bible shows you the way to true joy. The Bible shows you the way to true satisfaction. The Bible shows you the way to true lasting happiness. The Bible shows you the way in order to be fulfilled, or if you want to use weird terms from pop psychology, actualized. You can be only, you can only find the essence of who you really are by following Jesus. That's what He's saying. And he's saying, of course you're going to try to find out who you really are and enjoy who you really are. Of course, that's natural that you would do that, but you can only do that by following me. Now, there's somebody who's written well on this, and it may help you to, 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 to give a little book recommendation. And he really has written really, really well. There's a book uh, by John Piper. When at first, I didn't buy this book for years because I the title. Christian, well, the subtitle was Christian Hedonism, and I thought, what kind of crazy... Christian pop psychology stuff is that I'll look at it. I'll put it back on the shelf hedonism Christianity How can it be mentioned in the same so I put it back on the shelf? This is kind of how I approach this I have a missionary mark Lonesboro He's out in Iowa now, but he was in Brazil then and he visited us in Ohio And we're having our Bob Evans coffee thing. We're like drinking two pots of coffee at Bob Evans And I want to tell you something you get inspired after about the second pot of coffee with a guy who has some good theology under his belt Seriously, some pretty cool things happen. So we're just talking about the things of the Lord, and we're talking about theology, and he's like, have you read this book? And I'm like, no, but have you read this book? And he's like, no, that sounds good. I'm like, this book is so powerful. This is so useful. This is so biblical. This has helped me so much. And he's like, this book is so powerful, so useful, so biblical, it's helped me so much. All of a sudden we realize we're talking about two different books by the same author, and the book that he had written, read was the Desiring God book by John Piper, in which he in, takes the theology and he develops this In a very profound way, in a very large way, he develops the idea that the the simple way, the way he says it is, God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. That's the way he says it. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, the way to glorify God is to find our happiness that we desire in him. Make sense? That's a simple way of saying it. There's a little book you should read if you want the little light version, which is very good. And useful, and you probably can't read it. It's called The Dangerous Duty of Delight. It's like the Cliff Notes version of Desiring God by John Piper. Just telling you this because I can't tell you all this in a message. It's really helpful stuff. You, you might want to get that and read it, The Dangerous Duty of Delight. Really a good book. I would just challenge you to read that. If you're a young person, you're a teenager, uh, young young man, young woman, no matter who you are, it would be a great thing this summer to say, that's one book I'm going to read this summer. I'm going to get out on the edge of a dock. I'm going to put my toes in the water. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going, to, I'm going to get a lawn chair, I'm going to put under a shade tree, I'm going to read this book. I'm going to let the truth of this book get down in my soul. Young people, I challenge you, it would change your life if you caught the message of this book. You have such a desire to be satisfied. You have such a desire to be happy. You have such a desire to be fulfilled. So that desire to be happy and satisfied and fulfilled, the essence of who you really are, can only be found by being willing to follow Jesus even if it involves suffering, and this book describes that. But if you're a heavyweight and you're serious, you can get the big book, Desiring God. And that's a big, thick book, and you can have some fun with that. So some recommendations. Now, if you're like a lot of people and that doesn't really do much for you, you know, it's like, I don't know if I want to read a big book, even as cool as you made it sound, Toes in the Water and all of that, then go ahead on the Desiring God website and listen to John Piper's message on Christian hedonism. Or if you wish there are videos that he's done that you can watch on the site there too. And I just suggest this idea that I'm talking about. I don't know if anybody's ever helped me as much to describe this idea as, as John Piper has in this. So I'm just giving that recommendation. I hope I didn't go on too long about that. But it really helped me a lot. So I think it, if my message doesn't help you, that might help you a lot right there. So understand this. Why follow Jesus even if it involves suffering? Because that's the only way to discover the essence of who you really are. And I've got to keep moving. Let's the second thing. Because it makes your gains and your profits and your investments last forever. makes them last forever. Look at verse 26 there. Um, For, or because, why should I follow Jesus even if it involves suffering? Because what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, this is kind of a... Profit and loss. This is kind of an investment. Jesus looks at it three different ways. In one way he's talking about he says, Only by following me, even if it means suffering, are you gonna be genuinely fulfilled and happy, the essence of who you really are? Then he looks at it in a different way. He says, This is the only way you can really profit. You might say, No, I'm gonna gather this, I'm gonna make this, I'm gonna have this, I'm gonna I'm gonna own this. He says, Well, what if you get the whole world and you lose your soul, then you have nothing. And he does it, he asks the two questions. Jesus has, has these penetrating questions that he's always asking. And listen to the questions that Jesus asks you in your soul this morning, this afternoon. What is, it, what is it? What profit is there? If you gain the whole world, you'll lose your own soul. I know people well who have spent their whole life, and I almost look at their life, and I because and it, it's easy for me to see it, and I almost look at their life like their whole life is a little miniature railroad. None of it really is all that significant. It's all temporal. It's all earthly. It's all going to burn. But they tinker all the time. Tinker, tinker, tinker. They're adjusting this and they're ensuring that and they're fixing that and they're tinkering with this. But the great weighty matters of eternity are something they never concern themselves with. And so they're really fools. They're really fools. In the highest, the lowest biblical sense of the word, they're fools. As if there is no eternity I had a great opportunity to talk to a dear man who spent most of his life achieving a lot of really interesting things and gathering a lot of interesting things. He's got a big HO railroad, you know. He's got a big Play Kingdom, and, he, and he's good at it. But I had a chance to talk to him at great length about, so I see you're getting around slower these days. And you know, you're, we're all feeling it, you know. We're all hearing the music. They're going to play at our funeral. We're all feeling it feeling the aches and the pains. We're not going to all live forever. So now after that, what's going to happen? And though you may have been really good at organizing your little toy kingdom, your little HO railroad, your little like play kingdom, and though you may have been really good and you may have impressed people, you gave the whole world, but what if you lose your own soul? And when that time comes, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? If he faces God, he would say, Oh God, take anything I ever earned and everything I ever accomplished and everywhere I ever went, take it if you could give me my soul. But you can't do that then. So Jesus asked these two penetrating questions saying, This is the heart of your investments, what you send beyond. So following when it hurts is the only way to discover the essence of who you really are. And it's the only way to make gains, profits, investments last forever. Look at verse 26. Now Jesus really takes a turn and he really, he goes where the disciples wanted him to go, but he's gone through the cross first. They're all, yes, you're the Messiah. When are you going to come in the glory of your Father with your angels and establish yourself and reward people for what they've done good and reward people for what they've done bad? That's kind of what they were thinking. Is this going to happen then? It's to the other side of the cross, the glory after the suffering. And here's how he says it. And it has echoes out of Daniel chapter 7. He says, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels. Then He will reward each one according to His works. doesn't mean salvation by works. We know that it's well established that salvation is by grace through faith alone, but then it will always include works if it's real salvation by grace through faith alone. And so He looks and He says that works are the evidence a person has really been saved by grace through faith alone. Or bad works are evidence a person hasn't been saved by grace through faith alone. He's going to come in the glory of the angels. And what does he call himself here? Jesus' favorite name for himself. What does he call himself? He calls himself the Son of Man. And so what he's doing is he's saying to everyone, he says, Son of Man. Capture this. To everyone, he's saying when he says, Son of Man, Messiah is going to be a man. Messiah is going to be a human. God in the flesh. That's what he's going to say. That's what he's saying when he says, Son of Man. Here's what else he's saying when he says Son of Man. And that's a big thing that he's saying Messiah is going to come in the flesh. A man. He's like, me. Himself the Son of Man, right? But here's the other thing that he's saying. is anybody who knows the Old Testament knows that what he's saying is, I'm the Son of Man that was referred to in Daniel chapter 7. And I think it would be rich for us to look at that today. So let's take our Bibles. If you can, turn quickly to Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to read just about four verses, and you're going to get a feel of who the Son of Man is and what the Son of Man is going to do. And it's going to inspire you to be willing to follow Him, even if it means sacrifice and even if it means suffering, because it really is the only way to... Confine your suffering to this life alone. Daniel chapter 7, and you hear what it says in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 10 and verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. This is a scene Get a movie get an idea of a moving picture of this scene in your mind. It's an incredible picture of the throne of God, the ancient of days. And I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, enemy of God. I watched till the beast was slain, his body destroyed, given to the burning flame, for as the rest of the beast they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Keep coming back to church. One day we'll explain all of that. But here's the heart of it. What Jesus is referring to, the Son of Man, comes out of this passage. He's saying, I'm this guy. Listen to what He says. Verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. Then to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples and nations and languages that they should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one which shall not be destroyed. This is the Son of Man. Jesus says... I'm the Son of Man. You know what the Bible says about the Son of Man. Someday He, I, am going to come and I'm going to reward the faithful and I'm going to judge the wicked. This is what Jesus says. He comes first though to die as a suffering servant to seek sinners, to save the lost to lay down his life, to plead for their souls. He, he dies, he's buried, he rises again to prove who he was, but he's going to come back someday in power and great glory. And then there's going to be a time of reward. And for some people, that reward is going to be very, very bad. And for others, that reward is going to be very, very wonderful. Are you ready for that? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help your people, including myself, to be true disciples, true followers of the Son of Man. Amen.